On last week's episode, we talked about the roadmap for having effective conversations about abortion. This week, we're going to talk about two of the most common pitfalls that pro-lifers make when they're trying to have good conversations that might throw you for a loop. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Cam. I'm the host of the show, and this is a program that's dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to change minds, save lives, and transform the way that our culture views the abortion issue. Thanks a ton for being along for the ride, and thank you for bearing with me. I know that I've said this a number of weeks in a row. It's been a wild ride for me, um, as I can assume that many of you know by the late posting of episodes and all that sort of thing. Um, I appreciate you bearing with us, not only through the transition from two hosts down to one host, not only as I help wrap up our summer internships at the end of August, but now uh, my wife and I are super excited to announce the birth of our son, um, our second child, uh, Matthew Augustine Cote, um, who was born a week ago from time of recording, which is wild because I'm recording one day before posting, so born on September 5th. Um, Super exciting, but obviously that has been a major transition for our home, not only for my wife and I, but also for our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, um, who is learning how to be a big sister. And so it's been a wild ride. Um, There's going to be some really cool guests coming down the tube here shortly. Um, but a couple of these episodes, not only to go back to our roots as a kind of the the foundation of having effective conversations about abortion, but also um, episodes, unfortunately, that can get fit in when my daughter is napping and when my son is with uh, my wife. And so um, if you see me nervously glancing to the side, I'm looking at my baby monitor. Um, if there's a one moment pause, and I'm probably listening to see whether or not my daughter is awake in the room behind me. Um, and so I thank you for bearing with me. Um, but without further ado, so we last week on on the Pro-Life Guys podcast, hopefully many of you have had the chance to tune in. If you haven't, now's your cue to go back and listen to last week's episode in which I talk about the roadmap for successful conversations with abortion advocates or with people about abortion. Maybe they're not people who actively are are advocating in favor of abortion, but maybe they're hesitant. Maybe they look at abortion as a necessary evil. Maybe they look at abortion as something that um, we don't like, but we need to have available in really, really uh, terrible circumstances, whatever it may be. We talked about how the, the natural flow of a conversation ought to be starting by bridging the gap, meeting the person that you're talking with where they're at by finding common ground, empathizing with the hardship that they're talking about, making an analogy that demonstrates the principle that we can't kill born children to solve problems, therefore why can we kill preborn children? And a pivot question that brings us to step two being the question asking if we can't kill born children, why preborn children? Let's talk about the differences and whether or not they matter between born and preborn children. And so that's the first step, bridging the gap. Step two is talking about the humanity of the preborn. We talked about the four key questions that we talked about, the human rights argument. Can we agree that all humans should get human rights? Question two, if something is growing even from one cell to two cells to four cells, isn't, isn't it alive? Question three, if that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she a living member of the human family? And lastly, wouldn't that make abortion the act of intentionally and directly killing that living organism a human rights violation? Those four questions often answering the humanity component. And then if necessary, talking about why all humans deserve human rights. And, and the very simple equation of 
this should be a matter of humans get human rights, not humans who have a particular attribute or human plus X gets human rights. We've done that throughout history, discriminating human rights based on arbitrary um, standards or characteristics like skin color, religion, race, ethnicity, um, gender, gender identity, all these different things that we have discriminated the human right to life on before. Now we're discriminating the human right to life based on age. And so bridge the gap, talk about humanity. If necessary, talk about the personhood and how age-based discrimination is no better than any other form of discrimination. And oftentimes, working through those steps and keeping them connected in that fashion will help draw people towards the pro-life worldview. On this week's episode, I want to talk about two of the most common pitfalls that pro-lifers, myself included, make that throw us off of that roadmap. And what they are is refuting comments by the person we're talking to or trying to resolve comments that we um, receive from the people we're talking to. And I want to break down each of them as to why we need to avoid them. What do I mean by refutation? What I mean by this is you have an abortion advocate who offers a justification for abortion. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe it's sexual assault. Maybe it's any number of things. And instead of empathizing with the reality of that injustice, uh, with the reality of whatever that parent would be faced with, we try to rebut the validity or accuracy or or something about it to suggest that um, it's not a good justification for abortion. And this is tricky for a lot of pro-lifers because obviously we acknowledge that there is no appropriate justification for the direct and intentionally killing of the weakest, most vulnerable members of the human family. And so when we hear these justifications, we might be flabbergasted by the idea that you think that it's okay to rip a tiny human being limb from limb because you don't want to ask the people around you or go to a pregnancy care center for financial support? Or you think that it's okay to directly and intentionally kill a tiny human being because you don't want to tell your boyfriend that you've been cheating on him or have an affair um, while in a marriage or something like that? Like, how could you be willing to shed blood to cover up a transgression or to, to get yourself out of a difficult situation? That might be what's going through our mind, but that's not going to cultivate a productive conversation very often, especially not early in a conversation when um, most people that we're going to talk to are more than happy to not discuss the issue of abortion, where they're more than happy to not engage on the issue. And if we don't talk about abortion, if we don't draw people to the pro-life worldview, then more and more preborn children are killed by abortion. And so we have not only in our best interest, but in so much of a deeper way in the best interest of preborn children that we need to break through. We need to have meaningful conversations about abortion, even if that means swallowing what we want to say and saying what we should say. And so um, a, a concrete example that I often talk about on this, that, that is a um, statistical refutation. And sometimes we'll have people who will say, you know what, abortion should be allowed in case of sexual assault. And a pro-life might be tempted to say, you really think that we should allow 100,000 abortions every year in Canada for maybe 100 or a couple hundred um, that are a result of sexual assault because less than 1% or whatever the statistic you're, you're going to try to roll out suggests that um, a, a very small portion of all abortions are performed in situations where the parent um, has been a victim of sexual assault. That might 
seem like a natural route because it might feel like what you're saying is you're trying to use this one very difficult circumstance as a human shield to protect all of these other abortions that are not happening for this very terrible reason. But what we're doing is actually one of two things. First of all, we are being stone cold um, lack of empathy on the very real situation of, of sexual assault. Not only are the statistics incredibly skewed because the overwhelming majority of sexual assaults are never reported. I have personally spoken to hundreds of victims of sexual assault. I've been able to connect several of them with law enforcement and um, protective, protective services. Many of them, thankfully, have already been um, been able to get out of those abusive relationships or, or um, situations. But the overwhelming majority of sexual assaults are not reported. And so that statistic, whether we're getting it from the Guttmacher Institute, whether we're getting it from some other kind of polling that suggests that a, a minority of abortions are performed in that, that is not only, first of all, inaccurate, because far more abortions are performed on victims of sexual assault who simply do not want to go through the process of reporting a sexual assault because they don't want to be hauled in front of a judge and have their entire sexual history put on display for everybody we look at the absolute bonkers situation that happens in our society when a victim comes forward and the scrutiny that they're put under and all of the terrible things that they have to go through, it makes sense why, tragically, a ton of victims don't want to go through that and tragically make the decision to be silent in the face of um, this, this atrocity because they simply don't want to go through the horrors of prosecution. Um, and so not only are the statistics skewed, but even if the statistics were accurate, that is entirely forgetting about the empathy component. What if the person you're talking to have themselves experienced sexual assault or know somebody who has, and you just blow right by it by saying that, isn't, that doesn't happen very often, therefore we don't have to think about it? No, we should never meet um, statements or justifications with that um, hard um, correction, opposition, refutation. At times, we might need to challenge some evidence. If, if we have somebody who says, you know what, I, I think abortion's okay until 24 weeks of pregnancy because that's when the heart starts beating, as a pro-lifer, you probably know that we have an independent pulse that's detectable at around three weeks after fertilization. Before most women even know that they're pregnant, their child has an independent pulse. We might know that. But it's not worth getting into a debate over when the human heart starts beating. Right? Because it doesn't really matter. If the human heart didn't start beating until after we were born, it wouldn't make abortion any more appropriate. If brainwaves didn't happen until after we were born, it wouldn't make abortion any more appropriate. If any of these stages of development that we are tempted to quabble over because they're scientifically inaccurate in what abortion advocates are saying, that doesn't really matter. And so as much as we might want to say, you know, with all due respect, all of the evidence that I've seen suggests that the human heart starts beating far earlier than that. If that's a quick conversation, sure. But that's not worth refuting them and diving into a disagreement over a subtle fact that I would argue really does not have any bearing on whether or not abortion is appropriate or not. And so instead of the refutation, instead of confronting somebody in a me versus you, I'm right, you're wrong kind of attitude, Go with the empathy route. 
go with the empathy route as much as you can and say, you know what, you and I agree that sexual assault is one of the most heinous crimes in our society. We need to do more to prevent it from happening. We need to do more to punish the guilty perpetrators. We need to do more to support the innocent victims, regardless of whether they become pregnant or not. Imagine, we're going to go from that common ground, that empathy towards an analogy. Imagine that a mother living in an abusive relationship has born children. Would we ever suggest killing those born children once we have that mother out of that relationship because they're a constant reminder of the trauma that she's endured? If we're not willing to kill a born child, why are we willing to kill a born child to remove the reminder of a traumatic experience and then dive into the humanity? Whether they say, you know, the human heart starts beating at, at 22 weeks or, or 30 weeks or whatever they might say. Say, you know what, with, with all the respect, my understanding is um, that this is earlier, but you and I could agree that this child is really not developed like you and I are. I, I can agree that this child appears very different. You can either dive into human plus X or you can do the common ground analogy question and say, imagine there is a born child, very new infant, who had so much development left to look like you or I. They weren't capable of surviving on their own without somebody literally spoon feeding them. They couldn't live independently. Their, their brains were so underdeveloped and a mother was thinking about killing her infant child. Would we ever suggest that's an appropriate solution? If that mother was in a, a terrible relationship or really struggling to care for that child, if not an infant who is far from fully developed, why a preborn child who is also far from fully developed, something along those lines. Okay, so let's not refute the justifications that people might put forward, though at times we might briefly attempt to clarify uh, misconceptions. Those misconceptions are not worth spending a lot of time over. It's not worth getting into a he said, she said, um, my my uh, sources say one thing, your sources say another thing. Um, that's not worth it. Does this actually matter or have bearing on the abortion conversation as to whether they're right or wrong? Um, probably not very much. If they contend that 65% of abortions are because of um, incest and sexual assault, then that's horrific. But that doesn't change the way that we are going to respond to that justification. We're still going to find common ground, make an analogy, ask a question, pivot into the humanity, and if necessary, talk through the personhood of the argument. And so that's number one that I really want to encourage you to avoid, refutation. Number two is much more challenging, especially for many of the pro-lifers that I know who have gigantic hearts and just want to help. And I want to give a caveat for this one that... What it is, is resolving the hard situations. And obviously, we need to resolve hard situations. Obviously, when we meet people who are in um, trying to navigate difficult situations, whether it's poverty, whether it's abusive relationships, whether it's anything else, when we find somebody in that situation, we absolutely need to resolve that scenario. But I would argue that even in that, if we're speaking face-to-face -face with somebody who's encountering that, and even more so if this is a more academic-style argument of what if somebody was in this situation, we need to do more than just resolve the scenario. If somebody says, what about somebody who's very poor, they should be allowed to have an abortion because they can't afford their born children already, let alone another addition to their family, I don't think it's... a um, the best route, I actually, I know for a fact that it's not the best route to say, well, how much money does that person need? We'll just offer them whatever they need. If, if they're short of money, if they need help with rent, if they need toys or, or baby formula or diapers, we will just donate that. Because first of all, 
often the poverty that these mothers are experiencing is not simply a material poverty. It's a social poverty. It's an emotional poverty. It's a spiritual poverty. And it's a matter of more than just material ends. And so when we try to flood their lives with, um, with finances, it's kind of like somebody working in a toxic work environment who's thinking of leaving the office and you just offer to give them a raise. Yes, that might satisfy them short term. But if you don't remove the toxic components of their work environment, that's not going to satisfy them long term. They're going to come back and say, no, this is still a massive problem. My deskmate is still a huge jerk or I'm treated unfairly at work or whatever it may be. I'm lied to constantly. I'm not involved in decision making, whatever it may be. Money doesn't fix everything. And so if we just try to fix these problems financially, then that's not making pregnancy all the way easier. And it's certainly not making abortion any more difficult, right? Because offering somebody thousands, millions of dollars might not change the the outlook that they have regarding their pregnancy because pregnancy changes more than your bank account. Pregnancy changes so much of your life and it's not just something that only lasts for nine months. Even if you place that child for adoption, that is going to have a profound impact in your life for the rest of your life. Similarly, having a child isn't just the next 18 years of your life until they move out or they're not legally dependent on you. You're a parent for life. Regardless of how long your child remains under your roof, you are a parent for life in in so many ways. And so we can't simply draw people to the pro-life worldview by resolving the hard situations that they're in because there's always another hard situation. And sure, your $1,000 might alleviate one situation, but it might not alleviate another situation. $1,000 is going to do nothing for somebody who's living in an abusive relationship. $1,000 is going to do nothing for somebody who's been told that their child has a a developmental disability. $1,000 is going to do nothing for all of these other problems. And so either we say abortion is wrong because we can fix every problem perfectly, which I hope that every one of you as a listener can acknowledge is incorrect. We cannot, in this broken world, as broken people, solve every problem perfectly. Either we say that, or somehow abortion is appropriate. No, what we need to do is demonstrate that while we are here to offer the best support possible, that support is coming in while juxtaposed with something that directly and intentionally kills an innocent human. And so even in light of the fact that we can only offer imperfect support, we're not going to be able to provide necessarily everything that they could possibly hope and dream for, what is the alternative? We still need to talk about the alternative because while we need to attract bees with honey, as it were, and not just vinegar, we need to drive them away from the alternative, which is far worse than vinegar. It is um, a worldview. It it is a life of brokenness and, and children that are literally being decapitated, dismembered, and disemboweled. And so we need to still talk through the principle of why abortion is an inappropriate solution to whatever they are going through, And once we have demonstrated that principle, then we can dive further into actually resolving the principle. Once we have them able to acknowledge that abortion is not an option that can be on the table, this is not a choice that anybody could or should make. 
what are our alternatives? Okay, now that we've removed that option of abortion from the table by empathizing, by human rights argument, by human plus X talking about the personhood of preborn children, once we've demonstrated that abortion is not an appropriate solution, that's when you dive into the actual solutions. That's when you say, okay, now that we agree that you can't turn back partway towards abortion, once you've acknowledged that abortion is never an appropriate solution, even if the pro-life movement can't do anything, even if there's nothing that I can do to make your situation simpler or more manageable or more comfortable, if there's nothing that I can do, you still cannot proceed with an abortion um, because abortion directly and intentionally kills children. At the end of the day, think of it this way. Abortion is not wrong because abortion arguments are bad. Abortion is not wrong because the pro-life movement can help. Abortion is wrong because abortion directly and intentionally kills innocent humans. Yes, the abortion industry is often inaccurate. Yes, the abortion industry often lies to mothers and fathers. Yes, the pro-life movement can often help mothers navigate their pregnancies in a very manageable kind of way. Those are all true, but none of those philosophically or adequately um, make the argument that abortion is inappropriate. That relies on science, that human life begins at fertilization, and the very simple philosophical concept that all living members of the human family deserve human rights. Again, abortion is not wrong because the pro-life movement has the support that they need. Abortion is wrong because abortion kills children. Because abortion kills children, we need to help mothers in situations. That is a step two. B, point B of the equation, not point one or point A. Um, the first step is acknowledging that abortion is inappropriate. The second step is navigating and unpacking how do we help. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, in the coming weeks, I'm going to talk through a bunch of um, examples of challenging circumstances you might be faced with in conversation. We're going to get some guests on. I am in the process, in reality, talking with a few people, spoiler alert, um, a couple people that we have had on the program before for Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, including Gwen Landolt, um, current um, president or executive director, leader of Real Women of Canada, as well as Malcolm and Monica Rodis, who are all three of them legends and architects of the pro-life movement to do a um, supporters only, um, in-house discussion, Q&A time to talk about the history of Canada's pro-life movement. I think that's very fitting, especially as we continue to plot the course for where we're going in Canada's pro-life movement. We have to have one eye on the past if we're going to chart a, a successful and effective um, uh, course forward. And also because they're incredible and we need to hear the stories that they have lived and been a part of and all that kind of thing. And lastly, um, I know that this is going to come as a, a smile for some people and a frown for other people. We're back in September. It's school time. Um, and history is something that is valuable, even if it might not be our favorite subject in the movement. Maybe you are far more avid about um, politics and um, and apologetics than you are about history. But I think that a little dabbling of history doesn't go too far astray. And so look forward to a few history-style episodes coming out and an invitation to our upcoming October uh, roundtable, where you'll have a chance to not only listen to, but ask your questions to architects of Canada's pro-life movement. Thanks a ton. Um, if you're new to the program, check on our website, prolifeguys.com. Um, you can help us put more boots on the ground. 
by um, going to our Patreon page. We're currently fundraising for two incredible new staff members right now. Our church outreach coordinator here in Western Canada, uh, Mar- uh, sorry, um, Virginia White, and our new community community outreach coordinator, Jeff Owen, is in the process of fundraising his salary. As I'm sure many of you can imagine, there aren't a whole lot of government entities that are um, excited about throwing money towards pro-life groups like ours. And so every single member of our staff is fully crowdfunded with financial partners who are passionate about putting boots on the ground. Maybe you have um, a, a passion for changing minds and saving lives, but because of your life circumstance, because of your prior commitment, because of your skill set, maybe you feel um, that you can't be the one who's doing this on a regular basis, but you want to help somebody who is. I can I can absolutely assure you personally, having been friends with both Virginia and Jeff over the last months, um, and for Virginia over a year now, um, these are incredible candidates. And so if you want to help make a difference, if you want to help these two people take on pro-life ministry as a full-time career, I would absolutely love to invite you to go to endthekilling.ca slash donate. I'll throw it down in the show notes and select either or both um, Jeff Owen and Virginia White as subjects of your um, generous financial partnership. All of your donations go directly towards their salaries so that they can fulfill the roles, as I mentioned, of Western Church Outreach Coordinator and Western Community Outreach Coordinator. Thanks a ton. Thanks for tuning in and look forward to having you all back next week. God bless. (laughs) 